You know, I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but it's crazy to me the way that fear has this ability to just come in and to radically reshape the landscape of the human heart. I don't know if you've ever experienced this on a personal level. Maybe you've seen it in somebody else where fear just kind of sweeps in unexpectedly and this person who's normally pretty nice and pretty logical, pretty level-headed, all of a sudden just becomes kind of crazy acting. And I've seen that so many times in myself over this season and also in others. I think about a moment several weeks ago, I was at the post office and I was getting ready to mail these letters to all of these kids within our kids' ministry here at Ethos that had drawn pictures and send them in on a Sunday morning. So I'm standing there getting ready to, to send out these letters. and. I always love people watching, but in this season, I love it like 10 times more because people are just a mess right now. So, you know, I'm sitting in this post office and it's packed with like the angriest humans on earth. It's like someone went on Craigslist and said, if you're angry, let's meet at the post office. And the place was packed, everybody was angry. And in the midst of this sea of anger, there's this like one sweet little teenage girl who, I mean, she just, she came in for who knows what reason, to mail a package obviously, but she was in a great mood. <laughs> And she had her phone out, and she was obviously just kind of oblivious to the rage that was just kind of brewing all around her. So when the line would move up, she wouldn't follow the little guideline. She'd just step up. She's like up in everybody's space, and everybody's like kind of cutting eyes, and she's on her phone and having a great time. And there's this lady that was behind her, you know, probably in her late 40s, early 50s, wearing a mask, and she was the opposite of this teenage girl. She was, she was taking everything very seriously, and she was adding some of her own rules in the midst of it as well. And you could just feel the tension. So I'm watching this play out in, in the post office. This, I'm like, something's about to go down. And, and this young girl, she keeps kind of inching back towards this lady without knowing it. And, and the lady just goes off. She just like loses her cool, starts yelling at this, this young girl. And all of a sudden, this moment that you could kind of been feeling in the room just comes to the surface. And everybody's going, man, what do we do? And I'll be honest, at first, I had this kind of like judgmental spirit in me. You know, I wanted to like swoop in and save the day and try to figure out how to bring peace. But, but the more I started thinking about it, the Spirit of God, He was just kind of giving me empathy uh, for everybody involved, uh, not just the young girl and not just for the lady that was uh, getting angry, just for everybody. Because, you know, I started thinking that woman that lost her cool and got mad, I bet you on a normal day, she's a pretty amazing person. I bet she's kind, I bet you she's sweet, I bet you she, she probably has teenage kids of her, her own, but we didn't see her in the middle of a normal moment. We saw her in the middle of a pandemic when she feels the weight and the pressure of fear kind of bearing down on her, and the reality is when fear creeps in, it reshapes the human heart, and none of us act like ourselves when we're being pressured by fear. You know, I've seen this so many times in my own life. A few months ago, Sydney and I were walking around the neighborhood. It was right after dinner, it was almost dark. We had our three boys on bicycles. Some of the neighborhood kids were with us, and we're walking down our street, and there's this one guy that just flies through our neighborhood. I'm now the old guy in the neighborhood that says, slow down, which is really depressing that I'm now the old guy, but I'm there, and this guy comes flying uh, down our street all the time, and so we're riding bikes, and I, and I hear him coming, and then I see him coming, and so Sydney and I get out in the street, and she and I, we're trying to slow him down, and he sees us, but instead of slowing down, he like steps on the gas and goes faster, and he comes so close to, to hitting Sydney, she could put her hand on his windshield, and, and I'm just telling you, fear like just swept over me, filled my heart, and man, it was like the worst version of me came out. I'm so angry, I'm like ready to fight, I'm like ready to chase this guy down, and I'm like, who did I become? And I've just been reminded, like when, when fear creeps in, none of us, none of us are the best version of ourselves. And it's not always just with our physical safety. Several weeks ago, I was in a meeting where we were wrestling with how this crisis is shaping the way that people interact with each other, the way it shapes 
the way church is gonna feel for a season, the way it's gonna shape how we do life. And honestly, I just felt fear setting into my heart going, man, God, what if this lasts longer than I want? What if this changes more than I want? What if this impacts me? So I go home that night, not even realizing I'm under the weight of fear, and, and I'm kind of short with my kids, and I'm not as tuned into Sydney as I wanted to be. And here's the reality. When fear comes sweeping into the, the human heart, it's like a, a tsunami. It just comes in unexpected, and it just obliterates everything in its path. And what's so unusual about the season that we're in right now is it's not just a person here or a person there experiencing the reality of fear. The entire human race yeah. is experiencing fear in some ways. For some, they're feeling the weight of health. For some, they're feeling the, uh, the weight of how's this gonna shape us economically. For some, they're feeling the fear of what's this gonna do to our social uh, structures and how is this gonna change life as we know it. Some aren't feeling the fear personally, but some are interacting with people that feel fear. You know, maybe it's a neighbor or a coworker or a spouse or a child or a parent. And the reality, we're living in this unique moment where everybody you face, everybody you experience in some way or another is facing fear. And so this morning, here's what I want us to wrestle with for just a few minutes. What, is, what do the scriptures have to say about the way that fear can shape the human heart? And number two, what do the scriptures have to say about what we as followers of Jesus do to protect ourselves from that onslaught of fear? Like, like, what does fear do to the human heart, and how do we as followers of Jesus kind of protect ourselves from that onslaught of fear? Because here's the reality, to feel fear is human. But Jesus is gonna say, you do not have to live in the prison of fear. <laughs> it's one thing to feel it, it is another thing to be held captive by it. So we're gonna look at Numbers chapter 13 and 14. I'll give you just a little bit of the cliff notes if you don't know the story. God. Uh, has come to the people of Israel. They had been held in slavery in the country of Egypt for 400 years, and God shows up in their moment of pain. He raises up a guy named Moses, just an ordinary guy, and says, I want you to bring the people out of slavery. And so Moses meets them in their pain. God brings them out of their slavery. And he's bringing them not just out of something, he's bringing them into something even better. And I think sometimes we, we forget that. God was calling them out of pain, but he's bringing them into this beautiful promise, this promised land. God said, you're gonna, you're gonna live in houses you didn't build, you're gonna eat food you didn't pay for, life is gonna be really good. I'm not just getting you out of something bad, I'm bringing you into something that would blow your mind. But the, the reality is that God took them from that place of pain into the place of promise. He did that by taking them through the path of the wilderness. That's a whole other sermon for another day, how often that's the path we're invited to travel from one place to the next. But when you come to Numbers chapter 13, the people of God, they find themselves standing on the edge of the promise. Literally, they're like a day away from stepping into the thing that God had been speaking for hundreds of years. It's like the night before your wedding or the night before your college graduation or the night before you start the new job or your retirement. It was like this moment they had waited for. And all of a sudden, they're standing on the edge of it, getting ready to come into the blessing. And I want you to pay attention as we read through the story to the way that fear begins to work its way in and rob them of what God was trying to lead them into. We're gonna start in Numbers chapter 13, verse one. And it starts like this. It says, then the Lord said to Moses. The Lord said to Moses. I think sometimes when we read the scriptures, we just read over those phrases, but I want you to notice how significant this is. The people aren't rushing into something that they dreamt up. This wasn't their agenda or their idea. God had spoken. And this is what he said, verse two. He says, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran, 
and all of them were leaders of the Israelites. And you go down through the next 12 verses or so, and he begins to name these 12 leaders that they appointed to go test drive the promise that God was getting ready to lead them into. And so uh, I love this moment. I remember being in uh, high school as my senior year, I grew up near the beach, and for as long as I can remember, I always loved Jeep Wranglers. I always wanted one. I'm like, I want a Jeep so badly. And my senior year, like, my goal was to buy a Jeep before I went off to college. And so uh, in February of my senior year, right before Valentine's Day, there's this old little car lot down the street from our house that normally sold kind of custom sports cars, and this old red Jeep shows up on the corner of the car lot really stood out. I'm like, man, I love that Jeep. I want that Jeep. But I didn't have money for the Jeep. And so I remember one day I'm sitting at work and I'm just kind of doing my job and my dad calls me. He said, David, have you noticed the red Jeep on the corner of that car lot? And I'm like, have I noticed? Of course I've noticed. I've dreamt about it. I've prayed for it. I've fasted for it. I'm like, of course I've seen that Jeep. And so dad calls me and uh, he says, he says, hey, I just got done driving it. It's pretty awesome. And all of a sudden, I'm like, whoa. Like, you know, I'm like, something's going down here. And he says, hey, do you think you could get off work and come test drive the Jeep? I'm like, Dad, I'll quit this job. I'll burn the store down. I'll do whatever it takes. Like, I'll be there in a minute. And so I got, I got in the car, and I drove as fast as I could. And I got there. I remember getting to the lot, and Dad said, hey, the Jeep's amazing. He said, and we can afford it. Uh, if you like it, it's yours. And it was, it was the most amazing moment. Before I stepped in it, I knew it could be mine if I was willing to take it. And I love this moment where, where the Lord says, hey, here's the promise. He says, here's what I'm giving you. He says, this is the land. These are the houses. These are the vineyards. It's all yours. He says, but I want you to send out 12 spies to just go test drive it, to to go feel how good it is, how amazing it is. And so they send them out. Jump down to verse 17 with me. It says, when Moses sent them to explore the land of Canaan, he said, go through the Negev and into the hill country and see what the land is like, whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went and they explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob to Lebo Hamath. Jump down to verse 25. And at the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and to the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran, and there they reported to them and to the whole assembly. They showed them the fruit of the land, and they gave Moses this account. They said, we went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey, and here's the fruit. And you go on and you keep reading. Uh, They've come back from test driving the promise of God. God said, here's what I want to give you. Here's what it's going to be like. They go check it out for 40 days, and they do something. I want you to notice this. They do something that almost never happens in the human experience. They go and experience that the promise was actually better than they thought it would be. This almost never happens in life. I mean, have you ever, have you ever seen like a late night infomercial and you buy the product? It never comes and you go, wow, this thing actually works better than the commercial. It never happens. Or maybe you met that person on an online dating app and you know, on their profile, they're super adventurous and they look really good in that picture from 10 years ago with perfect lighting. And you never show up in person and go, wow, they're more attractive and more adventurous than they were online. It never happens that way. Like typically you show up and the reality is more disappointing than the promise. But that's all what happened here. God had made a promise, and the reality was better than the promise. And they come back and they report that. They go, man, the land is just like God said, even better. Here's, here's the fruit of it. But this is where fear begins to creep into the story. Look at verse 28. It says, but, but the people who live there, but the people who live there are powerful 
and the cities are fortified and very large, and we saw the descendants of Anak there. They said, man, this was exactly what God told us it was gonna be like. There's, it's a land of opportunity, but there's also these obstacles, and you can hear the fear begin to creep in. Mm-hmm. If you keep reading down just a little bit, two of the 12 spies, Joshua and Caleb, they're gonna stand up, they're gonna say, hey, listen, it's just like God said. He's told us we can take it. We're gonna take the land, let's go take it. But the rest of the 10, they're just overrun with fear, and look at what they do, verse 31. It says, but the other 10, the other men who had gone with them into the land, who had test-driven the promise, who had experienced it, They came back and they said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are, verse 32. And then they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they explored. And they said, the land we explored devours those who are living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. And so there's this moment where God says, hey, I'm trying to take you somewhere. It's better than you can imagine. They were on the eve of stepping into the blessing of God and fear begins to work its way into the human heart. And you get into the next chapter, and I think Numbers chapter 14, in a lot of ways, is a test case. It is a picture of how fear comes in and reshapes the human heart in such a way that it forever changes the blessing that we step into. And there's just a few quick observations I want you to notice about the way that fear works. Jump down into chapter 14 with me. If you take notes, here's the first thing that I want you to notice, is that fear travels fast. Fear just travels fast. Look at this, Numbers chapter 14, verse one. It says, that night, all the members of the community, they raised their voice and they wept out loud. You know, there were more than two million people that were part of this community. How long did it take for that bad news to spread? It didn't take six months or 12 months or 18 months. It took one night, and this was before Twitter. This was before the 24-hour news cycle. This is before any of the technology we have. So often I hear people say, you know, technology spreads fear. And the truth is technology does enhance the way that fear is spread, but the reality is the human heart is an incubator for fear. And you see this, it goes way back. Fear travels, it travels so fast. Bad reports always travel quicker than good reports. Bad news travels quicker than good news. And here you begin to see the way that fear begins to infiltrate a community. 10 leaders come back, they share a a word of discouragement and it travels through the whole community in one night. I remember when I was in high school, I played baseball. And you know, baseball guys uh, typically aren't known for being the most upstanding citizens. That's uh, typically a pretty good um, stereotype, you know? And I had this one friend, he was fun to be with, but he wasn't a great, like, character builder, you know? And and so I remember one night, uh, or one morning, we're sitting there in class and, uh, Uh, It's computer class, 9 a.m., and he leans over and he says, hey, this morning at breakfast, I spread a rumor. I'm like, why would you do that? And he said, I spread this rumor that some guys uh, from our kind of rival high school, that they're gonna come over and start a riot at lunchtime. I'm like, dude, you're gonna go to jail. (laughs) Like, when they find out it's you, and it was crazy how fast fear spread through our school. That one little rumor, one little lie. By lunchtime, they literally shut down our school, sent all the students home because of the fear of this bad report, and the dude almost did go to jail. Um, Just a crazy moment. I go, fear, it travels fast. And you see this, God had spoken. Moses had spoken, Caleb and Joshua had spoken, but the voice of fear begins to to drown out all of the other competing voices, and it travels so much faster. I go, have you seen the way that's happened over the last couple of months? the way that fear has just traveled across the earth in unprecedented speed. Fear travels fast. If you take notes, the second thing I want you to notice is it doesn't just travel fast. Fear clouds judgment. Fear clouds the judgment of people who are ordinarily pretty level-headed, pretty sane. Look at this, Numbers chapter 14, verse two, just keep reading. It says, all the Israelites 
They grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly, and they said to him, said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. There's this, this moment. I mean, Moses and Aaron, they've been trustworthy leaders. God had provided for them in incredible ways. They had seen God move, but all of a sudden, fear floods the human heart. Fear begins to reshape the human heart. Fear takes the community, and it doesn't just travel fast. It begins to cloud their judgment. See, when fear gets in the human heart, it's a whole lot like driving your car at night through the fog. It doesn't matter how good your headlights are. It doesn't matter how well you know the road. Everything becomes more difficult to see. Everything becomes more difficult to judge. And when fear comes in, it doesn't just travel fast. It changes the way we see other people. It changes the way we hear news that comes to us. It changes the way we receive the scriptures. It changes all of it because it comes in and it clouds our ability to make good discernments. It travels fast. Number two, it clouds our judgment. Number three, fear distorts our view of God. Look at this verse three. This may be the most tragic part of all of it. The people at this point, fear set in. They turn on the Lord. They said, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to get us to fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? I go, what is, it about what is it about God's character up to this point that would have made them think that this is what he was about to do? Right. Nothing. <laughs> in God's love, he found them in captivity. He brought them out by his power. Every day he fed them, he provided them, he took care of them, he took them to the land of promise. It was better than they could have ever imagined. And yet when fear sought in, what do they do? They, they, they don't just turn on each other, they turn on the Lord and they say, why would the Lord bring us here to this moment to do this to us? Remember years ago, one of my good friends, he got promoted into a job that he'd been praying for for years. And he stepped into this job and all of a sudden, just the voice of fear begins to speak into his, into his mind and into his heart and he begins to feel unqualified and all of his identity issues begin to kind of rear their head. And I remember one night he and I were going for a walk and I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, Dave, I'm convinced that God has brought me into this position so he can embarrass me in front of everybody and bring me low. And I went, man, like, what about God would make you think that? I'm like, he loved you so much, he sent his son to die for you, his son raised a life for you, he's prepared a home and a place for you in his home forever, like, he's put his spirit in you, like, what is it about God's character that would make you think he would bring you to this point and leave you high and dry? And I go, but that's what fear does. I've had so many conversations with people in this season that are going, man, I'm just scared that God's gonna leave me hanging. And I go, what is it about the character of God that would make you think that? See, what happens is fear comes in and it travels fast and it clouds our judgment and then it distorts the way we see God. Last but not least, if you're taking notes, number four, then fear tempts us to forfeit the future. Fear tempts us to forfeit the future. Look at this with me in verse four. It says, so then they said to each other, we should choose a leader and we should go back to Egypt. We should choose a leader and we should go back to Egypt. If you know the rest of the story, they're literally right there on the eve of the promise. They're right there about to step into the thing that God had made them for. Fear comes in, it spreads quickly. They lose the ability to discern well. They distort the view of God and they say, let's pick a leader and let's go back to slavery. Let's go back to the wilderness. I go, this is what happens when fear begins to reshape the human heart. My, that friend I told you about a few minutes ago, I remember he stepped into that job, that promotion. And so many of us around him were saying, hey man, God's made you for this. He's put his spirit in you, you're ready for it. But he kept listening to the voice of fear and in less than 12 months, he resigned, stepped out of the job that he prayed for for years and went back to the way of life that he was miserable in for a decade before. That's what fear does to us. See, here's the reality is Satan, he cannot steal God's future for you, but he will use the tactics of fear to get you to forfeit it. 
He can't steal the blessing, but he will try to intimidate you so that you walk out of it on your own uh, fruition, like that you'll leave it, that you'll move out. And I go, here's what you see happening in the context of fear all the time. It spreads quickly. It clouds our judgment. It distorts our view of God. And then we find ourselves on the verge of stepping into what God's made us for. And we say, you know what? I'll just go back to the thing I know better than this. Even though the thing I know that's better than this is actually not as good as what God has. And this is what fear begins to do. Fear, man, it is, it is a powerful force. And we're seeing that right now. Fear is such a powerful force. It reshapes the human heart. And anywhere that the river of fear travels, the fruit of hell grows up in its place. It's just what it does. But as, as children of God, as children of God, you were not made to be imprisoned by fear. Hundreds of times in the scriptures, the scriptures speak about becoming prisoners of fear. I love what God says to Joshua in Joshua 1 verse 9. He says, don't be afraid, be strong and courageous. Why? God says, because I'm with you. It's what David discovered in Psalm 34. David was just getting attacked on every side. And it says in Psalm 34, verse four and five, David says, in the midst of all of my fear, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. It's what 2 Timothy 1, verse seven says, where, where the Lord says, I did not give you a spirit of fear or timidity. I gave you a spirit of love and of power and of sound mind. It's what Jesus said all throughout his teaching. Hey, don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't be afraid when, it's what he says in Luke 20, 21 verse 9, don't be afraid when you see earthquakes and famines and plagues and wars. He said, all of this is going to come before the end. Jesus said, in this world when you have trouble, he says, take this to your heart. I've overcome this. See, to feel fear is really human. Some of you are feeling fear, but to be imprisoned, to be imprisoned by fear is not your destiny in the kingdom of God. God has so much more for us. So in a moment when the world is being rocked by fear, how do we as followers of Jesus become overcomers? How do we live in victory over fear? And the reality is there's so many ways that we do it, but there's just one thing I want you to notice right here in the story we read. Jump back to Numbers chapter 13, verse one. Here's what it says. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, the Lord said, how do you overcome in the face of fear? You tune your ear into the voice of God, and you tune out every competing voice of fear. <laughs> See, the source of your courage, it's not your economic plan. <laughs> the source of your courage is not your ability to, I mean, we're gonna follow every guideline so well that nothing can happen. No, the source of your courage is to be in close friendship with God. And it's so crazy because it's fear began to creep into the hearts of God's people. It didn't just affect the 10 that let it take their hearts. It literally affected an entire generation. If you go on and read the rest of the story, an entire generation forfeited the promises of God because the fear of 10 people spread through the whole camp. The only ones that moved into the future were Joshua and Caleb. They said, we refuse to believe the bad report. We refuse to let fear be the dominant narrative of our hearts. We can see the reality, we can see the obstacles, we can see the foes, but we know what the Lord has said. See, the moment you begin to crack your heart open to the voice of the enemy, fear begins to come in and it spreads fast and it clouds judgment and it accuses the Lord, but it's doing all of that to wound you. It's doing all of that to, to bring you out of the promises of God and the way we begin to become overcomers in the world is as followers of Jesus, we turn down the volume on all of the competing voices of fear, and we turn up the volume on what it is that God's saying through His Word, through His community, through people that are so trustworthy. 
You know, I think about uh, a couple of days ago, we were in our, uh, our van as a family. Sydney and I and our three boys were all extroverts. We just bought a new puppy that's a golden retriever, and apparently he's an extrovert as well. And so our, our van and our house is loud, and we're in the van, we're listening to music, and everybody's talking at once, and there's this moment where I had to turn the volume down on the music, I had to tell everybody to be quiet, and hey, just one at a time, speak. See, in this season where so many of our schedules have changed, Part of the reason you maybe are feeling fear, part of the reason the people around you are feeling fear is we've just opened the door of our hearts and we've allowed everyone to speak in. Spend all this time listening to, to podcasts and watching documentaries and figuring out things on YouTube and listening to reports from the government and you read that one verse in the morning and you can't figure out why you're being dominated by fear. I go, what's coming at you from the culture is junk food and if you feast on junk food, it doesn't matter how many vitamins you wake up and take in the morning, it'll still rot your soul. So what do we as followers of Jesus do? And I wanna encourage you, turn down the volume. Where have you let the wrong voice come in your life? And what would it look like to, to detox from the news for a week? What would it look like to set aside some of that media and just pick up the Word of God and say, God, what do you have for us in this season? Because guys, when the church, when the church becomes enslaved to fear like the rest of the world around us, we're not much good to the rest of the world around us. So may we be people marked by the courage of Jesus. And so here's my question for you this morning. Is in this season, what voices have you allowed personally to shape your life? Like truly, like what are the voices you've allowed to shape your life the most? This is why we have these grow classes going on right now. One of our classes is literally, how do you hear the voice of God? Because in a season where there's a lot of voices, you need to know the voice of God. It's the reason we have house churches. It's the reason we have these opportunities for you to jump in and get in on what God's doing so we can tune our ears into His voice. And as we take communion together here in just a second, this is what we do every week. I wanna encourage you as you break the bread and as you take the cup, to just very honestly ask the Lord, hey, Lord, are there any voices that I've led into my life that are trying to reshape the landscape of my heart? Are there any voices? Lord, help me to recognize any voices that are sowing in seeds of fear instead of building me up as a person of faith. So I ask the Lord to help you recognize that. Secondly, as you're taking communion, if there's anything that He reveals, ask the Lord to help you repent, to turn from that. God, help me to shut those voices out and to listen to your voice in the midst of all this. Help me to turn down the volume there and to turn up the volume on your voice in my life. And then last but not least, as you take communion, just ask Jesus, Jesus, would you help me to rest? Help me to rest in your promises, help me to rest in your goodness, help me to rest in what you're doing. You know, for some of you, you've been shaped by fear and this is what you need to do over communion. Help me recognize, help me repent, and help me rest. For some of you, man, this has been a season, your feet have been on solid ground, you're hearing the voice of God so clearly, but you have a relative or a loved one or a neighbor or a coworker or somebody that's been rocked by fear. Man, after you spend some time reflecting on Jesus and thanking Him for who He is, would you spend some time right now praying that God would break the voices of fear in the lives of the people that you love. Let's ask God to just do a supernatural work across our city because I believe what God has for us in the days ahead will not be seized by a church that is imprisoned to fear. It's only gonna be stepped into by people that are marked by faith. And so I love you. Let me pray over us as we get ready to take communion together. Father, I love you and I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you are a God of promise 
that yes, you meet us in our pain, yes, you take us through the wilderness, but you're a God that is leading us into promise. God, in the name of Jesus, I just speak against any lying spirit that is sowing fear into the hearts of our people, that's sowing hearts into the fear of our nation or into the nations, God. Give us the ability to hear your voice and your voice most clearly. Help us to discern which reports to listen to. Help us to be careful about what we take in and who we take into our hearts in this season. And God, would you set us free in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that at the cross of Christ, sin and hell and death were shattered. At the resurrection of Jesus, hope was planted into the human soil. And Lord, it will be at the second coming of Jesus where every eye will see and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are indeed a truth teller, that the promise is better than we could have ever hoped for. And so Lord, would you help us to live into that reality right here and right now for your glory, our good, and the joy of everybody around us. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. Man, I love you. Let's take communion together. Let's pray into those things as we wrap up our day in worship.